Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. The scripture in this morning is found in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by their brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is good. All the time. I want to ask a favor, if I may, and there's a reason I want to ask this favor. If you are the parent of an infant or a toddler. Would you please stand with them? I want the church to see all the small families that we, not everybody at once, but no, go ahead and stand. You know, you're going, what is he going to do? Got all these babies. Look, look around at the parents that have these small little children. All right, thank you, you can be seated. Now the reason I wanted to bring that up to you is, uh, that was a golf clap. What, look, this isn't the golf course. It's a church, okay? Now, the reason I wanted to point that out, I wanted moms, these moms and dads to know I think they're doing a good job. Uh, Stephanie and I have been there. When you've got one small one, it can be almost like a wrestling match to get up on time, to get them dressed, uh, and make sure they're coordinated in their dress and yourself, and then get to church on time. Then when you get here, sometimes you may have to wrestle with them. If you have more than one, it's a little bit harder. Uh, And if you have more than two, it it gets harder and harder to manage all those little ones. But I hope that you never feel discouraged. And sometimes they make noise, but it's okay. My preacher, my mentor, used to always say, if you don't hear crying, the church is dying. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I know that Stephanie most of the time had to deal with both of our children all on her own because I was preaching. And so it was just her. And sometimes it's that way with our mamas and daddies here. Maybe mom or dad is having to work a long shift or or whatever the case is. And so it's just one taking care of everybody. And then they get fussy and you try to manage them and they get loud and you try to quiet them. And then it gets to a point, well, I just got to go out now. And you're embarrassed, you feel bad, and sometimes you go, I don't even know what the preacher said. Uh, well, even people that don't have kids sometimes don't know what the preacher said. So you're not, in, you're not all alone. But one of the things that I will tell you is when we look at the state of society and our world, if there's one thing that should give us some kind of hope about the positivity of the future, it's that young mamas and daddies are bringing their small children to church. And what they need from you and from me is a word of encouragement to let them know they're doing a good job. Now, you know, sometimes each kid is different, right? Uh, 
I used to hear people say, I raised them the same way. Well, we had to raise ours differently. Brianna has a personality, and when she was a little girl, all I ever had to do was use the dad voice. You know what I'm talking about. I had to kill Cole on two occasions <laughs> because he's that strong-willed. So differences. So be sure to say a kind word to these mothers and fathers who are doing their best and make sure that they know that what they're doing is very important because they're beginning a practice that just like anything else with little children can stick. When, we, when it was just the three of us, me, Stephanie, and, and Bree, we would always bow and give thanks before our meal. And one, one time, we just started eating, and little three-year-old Bree said, pray. I mean, she knew that the prayer came first. So keep up the good work. Don't be discouraged. You're doing a good job. Let's pray about it. Our Father, we thank you for those that brought us to church when we were youngins. We thank you for the families that cared enough to know you and to, to love you and then to pass that love on to succeeding generations. Some of us may be first-generation Christians, and so it may not be as easy because we don't have much of a foundation. But wherever anybody is in their walk with Christ, Father, help us to be gracious, compassionate, and kind towards all. And help us to be more encouraging than anything. I pray for the mamas and the daddies with the small children. I pray, Father, that they would keep on doing what they're doing. And we pray for these children to grow, to know you, to come to love you, and one day to obey your gospel. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite series of books and movies is the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Some of you will. But I'm going to tell you about it, and maybe you'll go either read the series or watch the series. So C.S. Lewis created this whole series of books, and at the center of it is Aslan. Aslan was the creator of Narnia and is its one true king. And the way that it goes in the first of the series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, these four children that are living during the Blitz in England, they go into this wardrobe of this house where they're wards, and they, they go through the wardrobe and they, they find themselves in this strange land strange creatures and people. Well, one of the four siblings, Edmund, he stumbles upon the white witch. Now, Aslan is meant to remind us of God, uh, the white witch of Satan. And there had been a curse on Narnia for a century, and so it was an unending winter. Now, those of you that likes winter to end, you could probably see why that would be a curse. But anyway, the white witch tempts Edmund, and Edmund becomes a traitor, really without realizing what he had done. Well, his siblings and, and Aslan and, and all the Narnians, they, they rescue Edmund and they get him back. And so now this once traitor is in the camp of the creator of Narnia. And the white witch goes to where they are and the white witch reminds Aslan that all traitors belong to her and that she required a blood sacrifice on the stone table. So as it goes, Aslan asks her into the tent and they talk and they come out and she relinquished her ownership of Edmund 
because Aslan had decided to give his own life in sacrifice for what Edmund had done. You see the, you see the parallels so far? Now, C.S. Lewis wanted to invent this story as another way to tell the good news. When you get to the very last of the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Aslan is telling the children they have to go back to their world because they're too old for Narnia. And so Edmund asks Aslan, he says, will you be there too? And this is what he says. I am, but there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. So it's a whole, the, the whole focus of the Chronicles of Narnia in some way or another is to retell the gospel story in a way that a child can understand, but in the end, point them to Jesus, to God here on earth. Now, when we look to our scriptures here in 1 Peter, we see a pretender, Satan, who wants to be like a lion, but really isn't. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, Notice, he walks about like. He's pretending. He's not actual, actually a roaring lion, but he pretends to be. And he's seeking whom he may devour. So let me, okay, first things first. Some people already think we're, we're a little different. They think that believing what we believe in God and heaven and hell and, and the devil and all that, they say, well, it sounds like a fairy tale. Uh, and some will go so far as to say, I believe that God exists. I believe in Jesus Christ. I don't know that I could go so far as the devil. I, I believe that there is a logical case to be made for the fact that Satan does exist. And one of the things I'd point you to is a passage in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 13 and 16. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. Now here's what I really want to point out to you. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no very variation or, uh, or shadow of turning. You know, a lot of times when bad things happen in our lives, you know, we, why is God letting this happen? But James is telling us the good and perfect gifts come from God. So where does the bad come from? Well, first of all, the bad comes from our own fallen nature. We, all the way back through history, have chosen to disobey God. And there are consequences to that. Sometimes our disobedience directly affects other people. And sometimes there are things that are just unexplainable, such as storms and plagues and disease and such like that. But when you read Romans chapter 8, because sin entered the picture, creation, Paul says in Romans 8, was subjected to futility. So it wasn't just humanity that was affected by the fall. It was all creation. But the good and the perfect gifts, they're from God, not the bad. God doesn't give us bad things, but He can use bad things for His purpose. So if God is not behind the bad, it stands to reason that someone is. 
And we who believe in God and in Jesus Christ and who view the Scriptures as inspired by God, we identify that person as Satan. The word Satan, the name, means adversary. That's literally what that Hebrew term means, adversary. Because he stands opposed to us. He stands opposed to God. And as is is often says, misery loves company. And he's in probably the most miserable state imaginable. But I want you to notice, too, when you go back to the text here, Satan walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I used to love to watch the crocodile hunter. Do y'all remember him, Steve Irwin? Anybody? I loved him. He was so colorful of a guy. You know, he'd get down there and he'd talk to those reptiles, and I'd think he's crazy as a loon. And then he would go and he would pick up some of the most poisonous ones, the black mamba. That's the one I always remember as being very aggressive and poisonous. Down in Australia, the black mamba, he'd say. You know, and I love watching shows like that. But, but all of those shows, whenever there was, there was a case of, of lions, sometimes you would see two, two uh, lions fight for the alpha position within all of that area, or uh, the herd, and, or the pride. And sometimes you would see it to where the lions have to take on the hyenas, Right, I always thought hyenas were bad, and the Lion King really made me believe that hyenas were bad, right? Anybody else? Right, you got Mufasa the father, you've got Simba the son, and you've got the evil brother Scar. And I just remember just how bad those hyenas were. So, okay. But whenever you notice that the lions hunted, and I kind of like this setup, more often than not, it was the lionesses who did the hunting and the killing, and the lions just showed up for what mamas had made, what the ladies had made. But anyway, but whenever the lions went after, say, water buffalo or zebras or or some other prey, do you know the ones that they always caught were the ones that were weak, that were sick, or that just were unable to get away because they were slow? Okay. So if Satan's going around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, who is he likely to pick off easier than anybody else. Maybe the weak Christian, the Christian who isn't as devoted to their faith, the Christian who, uh, or Christian in name, but really not in practice. I mean, here's the thing. If you're going to seek something to devour, you want to go the path of least resistance. So this really causes you and me to evaluate ourselves. How is my faith? How am I living in reference to being a Christian? Am I very faithful to the Lord? Or am I only faithful when I'm at the church building? Do I grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord as I should? Or do I just, meh, take my theology from TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case is? Am I the weak? Am I the slow? Am I the sick? You know, we pray often for our physical sick, and that's many who occupy our prayer list. But we should probably put an emphasis to the spiritual sick, too. We have some folks who maybe they're here, but some have quit coming here because of a spiritual sickness, a sin or sins that they've been overtaken in. 
We pray for the physically ill to get better and restored to health, uh, or as I love it said, to return to their normal walk of life. That's the only time I ever hear it put that way is in a prayer. And that's okay. But what about the spiritually ill? Those that, not that we're the judges, but that we look at and we go, you know, there's something there that shouldn't be there. In the Psalms, the psalmist in Psalm 22, verse 13, speaking of his adversaries, depicted them as a lion. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. So what's the advice, Peter? Well, first of all, be sober and vigilant. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm I'm at a place to where I, I don't hear as well as I did. And usually when I hear, I mishear. I misheard something this morning, and boy, it really just... Th- Does anybody else have a husband that doesn't hear well? Okay, good, good. You have a husband, Jerry, that doesn't hear well? See, he didn't hear me that well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you this. Whenever I go deer hunting, I can, a, I can hear a squirrel 100 yards away. I don't know how that works. That's just how it works. More often than not, when I'm out here and people talk, you'll see me lean in. That's because I'm trying to hear. And hear correctly, not mishear, right, David? Uh, but I don't know why that is. But, but that's what vigilance. You know, when I'm on the hunt for a deer, I'm moving very slowly, keeping my eyes peeled, you know. And if I hear some rustling of something, if the wind's not blowing, I, I can pick that up. I'm, I'm on the watch. My mind is attuned. And so when he says be sober and be vigilant, that's what he's telling us to do. Be on the watch. Don't let your guard down. You can't let your guard down. Because when you get comfortable, that's the moment something bad could possibly happen. Then in verse 9, he says, resist him. Resist him. I was having a conversation with a guy a week or two ago, and we were talking about, you know, uh, scripture and theology and, and stuff, and, and he got to talking about the devil, just about how creative and crafty he is. And I said, well, when you think about it, he's had a lot more time to perfect his craft than we have. And he was like, yeah, I never thought about it that way. So we're dealing with a pro. We're not dealing with an amateur. Resist him. Way back when, when Stephanie was 17, 18 years old, she was still living with her mom and dad, and I had just graduated high school. And she went one evening to Kroger. Seems innocent enough, huh? It was late in the evening, after 11 o'clock, not even a couple miles from her house. And she was coming out, and she was going directly to her mama's minivan to drive back home. When all of a sudden someone came up from behind her and shoved her into the minivan. And whatever his intentions were, we don't know. Was he going to abduct her? Was he going to rape her? We don't know. But she fought back. And it didn't last that long, and he took off. FBI statistics have shown that whenever someone is, especially a woman, is attacked, if she will resist... 
more often than not, the assailant will flee because they want someone who's going to freeze up, someone who's not going to fight back. And that's what Satan wants too. He wants somebody that's not going to fight back. And sometimes it's easy to not fight back because of our carnal earthly desires. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. However the adversary assails you or me, it's nothing new. This is not the only temptation that I as Stephen on the face of the earth alone have faced. There is no temptation but such as is common to man, and the Lord will provide a way of escape, so Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So you ever feel, well, I'm tempted by this. I don't think any, I've never known anybody else that is. We all have our temptations. We all have our desires of things that we shouldn't desire. But resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, I love the way he ends this. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Satan is a pretending lion. But we, however, have in our corner... The lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Satan is the pretender. Jesus is the real, the real deal. These are the tales of two lions. One wants to devour and destroy. The other was sacrificed. Sacrificed for you and for me. And now, sacrificed as a lamb, now situated as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, though the lion seeks to devour its prey, those that are sick and weak, we can take heart. Because those of us who are spiritually sick, those of us who are spiritually weak, Jesus died for us too. Jesus said to those, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So think about, am I spiritually sick? Do I have sin in my life that I refuse to let go of? Do I try to repent and remain unrepentant? Have I ever obeyed the gospel and put on Christ in faith through baptism? Or as a Christian, have I just let things go? Have I quit doing what I used to do? When you think about when you first became a Christian, those of you that are Christians... You're probably excited. And for some of you, it may have been the only time that you ever actually showed up early for church. Ha ha, okay. Uh, you wanted to do things, you wanted to be a part of things, and maybe you, maybe you burned out. 
And maybe where you used to pray often, you used to read Scripture often, you used to to participate often, to to, to volunteer for things often, you've, you've let that slide off. And maybe your mind and your heart has gone to a place than what it used to be when you were on fire for the Lord. It, it, it does take persistence to keep day after day, year after year, being in love with God. There's a story of when elephants were trained for the circus, you would have, you know, the, the young baby elephant and and the, 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 the master of ceremonies or whatever that guy's name was, he would tie this chain around the elephant's leg and it was affixed to a stake that was deep in the ground. And so while that elephant was growing up, it knew it could only go so far because that chain would pull on its leg and it would stop. And so as it grew, the elephant knew it could only go far and the chain would pull on its leg and it'd stop. Well, then when the elephant becomes this massive grown creature, The circus master would take the chain off and that's how they would lead the elephants around because they know they only have so far of an area to work in. It wasn't that the elephant was still tied to that chain and chained in the ground, but in the elephant's mind, that was life, that was reality. Sometimes Christians, it's all in our minds more so than it is a reality. We have been given liberty through Jesus Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin, but some of us hasn't got that message yet. That's what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. No longer be slaves to sin, but be slaves to righteousness. Do you not know that whoever you present your bodies to, that's who you are a slave of? Of sin leading to death or of righteousness leading to life? And as Christians, those of us that are Christians, we've been liberated. But some of us still live like we're in shackles. Well, what about those that are weak? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you see, our limitations, if we are sick, if we are weak, Jesus is there. Jesus is there with a helping hand to pull us up out of the weakness and out of the sickness. So you have the choice. Which lion do you choose? Do you choose the one that will devour you? Do you choose the one that as a lamb was slain and now is this mighty roaring lion? Our Savior, our God, Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to put on Christ in faith through repentance, confession, and baptism, put on Christ. But whatever you do, choose the right one because only one of them is in heaven. And if you wish to choose today publicly, you can do so. Just come to the front as we stand and sing.